right, so we're going to be in Psalm chapter 4. Psalm chapter 4. We looked at Psalm 3 uh, yesterday. Uh, I'm going to read uh, Psalm chapter 4, and then we'll dig into God's Word together. Psalm chapter 4, verse 1. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than, when, when, than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So if we look at Psalm 3 and Psalm 4 together, uh, many scholars would say that Psalm 3 and Psalm 4 were kind of written in tandem. Right there in Psalm chapter 3, verse 5, it says, I laid down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. We made the point yesterday that waking and sleeping is a sign of God's sovereignty, God's control over uh, the universe. So this idea when we wake up every morning, Psalm 3 is kind of written in that morning, I'm, I'm, I awoke. And Psalm 4 is kind of the evening prayer. So if Psalm 3 is the morning prayer of in distress, Psalm 4 is the evening prayer in distress. Evenings and mornings feel differently. You know, when you wake up in the morning, you're kind of ready to face the day. You kind of have you know, a positive outlook. You're looking for all these different things you have lined up, people that you're going to see. But the evenings are just very different. Um, a lot of you have shared uh, with me how hard evenings are um, when you experience uh, the loss of a loved one, when you experience the loss of a spouse, sometimes they say the hardest times is in the evening. Uh, because in the evening you have your bedtime routines, you have your rituals. And that for whatever the reason, at, at nighttime, not having the person with you, there's an emptiness, there's kind of a, 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 a lonely ache that's there. It's one of the hardest times to experience um, being alone. Now, I, I, I have a wife and, and, and three children, and feels like I'm never alone because my, my kids are always around. But every time my wife travels and I put the kids to bed, even when I just kind of go into my room, it's almost like I don't even want to go to my room when my wife's not there. You know, it just doesn't feel right. And that's knowing that my wife's going to come home in a few days. Well, imagine those who, who know that your loved one's not going to be back. There's, there's a longing there. there. There's an ache. Something different happens at night. Not only the fact that you may feel alone, but what else happens, your mind starts to race. I'm not sure if you've ever had that moment where you, you, go, you go to sleep, you lay down, and your eyes are wide open, right? You can't get certain things out of your head. Your mind is racing about the coming day. Your mind is racing about relationships. Your mind is, is worried, and you're full of stress and relief. It's for whatever the reason, the evil one tends to attack us at night to rob, of, uh, rob us of our joy of, of sleep. So we think about this, you know, David, uh, if it is connection with that first, first psalm, we looked at last week where he's running from Absalom, his son is, is against him, and in the morning he's waking up, and this is what he says to himself in the morning, this is what he's saying to himself in uh, the evening. 
We're going to look at several things here about what the Lord gives uh, during that evening prayer. First, the Lord gives relief in distress. The Lord gives relief in distress. Look at that first verse. It says, answer me when I call. Uh, One of the things that I've tried to train my children with is when they go outside and play and I yell out the back door, Elizabeth, John David, what do I expect to hear? Daddy? (laughs) Yes, right? Answer when I call. Uh, The other day, we went shopping at Walmart, and uh, the kids had to use the restroom, so I took Olivia and John David in, into the restroom, and, um, you know, they, they, we, we, they did their stuff, and we were, we were leaving, and, um, you know, Olivia wanted to go back and wash her hands, you know, and when Olivia has her mind made up, you just might as well just do it and get, get it over with before, so I said, John David, just wait right here, and so I went, went out there, and, and, and Olivia washed her hands, and I came back out, and John David wasn't there, right? Now, right before we went in, I, thought, I saw my wife go the opposite direction. So I'm running, and I'm looking. I'm saying, John David, John David, Ellen, Ellen, John David. And I'm just walking around Walmart screaming, looking like a crazed man. And I'm going by the candy because, of course, that's where they're going to be, by the toys. And I can't find them. And, of course, what, what do you start thinking? Did someone take my, ch- my child, right? It was only 30 seconds, minute. But did someone take my kid? Well, apparently my son went out to his, his mother, who was, who was in line, at the register, but I didn't look to the right, I looked to the left, and I couldn't find him. But you know, when you call someone's name, you expect them to answer you. It's just really just a sign of respect, isn't it? When, when you ask, when you address someone, you expect them to answer you. Right? It's, a very, it's a very simple thing. This is what happens to, to David. He says, answer me when I call. I am calling out to you. I expect to hear an answer. Not in an angry way, but in, this is just what I expect when I call out to, to my Lord. Um, but who is he understanding? He understands who God is, right? It says, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. David understands who he is addressing. <coughs> Our righteousness, the righteousness that we have, has been given to us by God. Uh, so the theological term for what the, what the righteousness of a Christian is called imputed righteousness. or It's righteousness that is from outside of us. A lot of theologians call it alien righteousness. We know know where aliens come from, right? Where do aliens come from? Mars. (laughs) They come from out there, outer space, right? They come down to us. Well, that's the picture of the Lord's righteousness. We are not righteous in ourselves. We are full of sin. And Christ died on the cross, was buried, and rose again, ascended to the right hand of the Father. And therefore, anyone who puts their faith and their trust in Christ gets a righteousness that is outside of us. It is the righteousness given to us by God. Um, Bobby shared with me this past week, um, uh, n- two weeks ago in our, in our schools, a national campaign was anti-bullying week, which is a good thing, right? We don't want kids to be bullied. Kids should never, uh, sh- shouldn't be bullied. They should be treated with respect and dignity, made in the image of God. But the, the theme for that week was define yourself. Define yourself, meaning that who you are is from within you. But is that what the Bible teaches? Well, no, it com- comes from outside of us. It's given to us by God. It is, it is a righteousness that has been imputed to us. It's an alien righteousness that we do not know. So when people talk to you about what kind of righteousness do Christians have, you should be able to say the imputed righteousness of Christ or the alien righteousness of Christ. That's a theological term, but we should use it because it's good. Um, and because of this, look, what, look at the second half. Because of this God I, I call to, it says, you 
have given me, second half of verse 1, you have given me relief when I was in distress. You see, the whole emphasis for this prayer is, is a bold prayer based on the past faithfulness of God. We can go to the Lord because he has given me. You see the past tense there? You have given me. Past tense, relief when I was in distress. Uh, one of my first uh, jobs, when I gr- the first job I had when I graduated high school, I was working at Allstate Motor Club. Allstate Motor Club was the number one competitor for AAA. Uh, it was a call center in Arlington Heights, Illinois. Uh, and this is my first experience. So after going through the training, they put me on conservation, which means that your job is to get people from not canceling their membership. Well, Allstate Motor Club was people you called when your car broke down. So when people called to cancel their membership, guess what? They weren't happy. (laughs) They weren't happy because they were in distress and they called someone, but they found no relief. They waited and waited and waited and they were stuck on the side of the road. See, the Lord is not like the Allstate Motor Club. When we call to the Lord, when we are in distress, the Lord answers us. The Lord has given us relief while we were in distress. That's past tense. Because of what the Lord has done, we go to him boldly in prayer. You all know the Footprints poem, right? You know, when my life got really difficult, there was only one, you know, uh, row of footprints in the sand. Why, Why did you leave me, Lord? He said, no. That's when I carried you, right? But because the Lord has carried us through those times, what do we say? We we say, answer me when I call, O Lord, my God of righteousness. You have given me relief in my distress. So we can go to the Lord in prayer, which is the last last section of verse 1. It says, be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Beloved, can I just tell you again and again, when we are in distress, the first place we go should be to God in prayer. We should go to God and pray, God, I need you. I need you. But we tend not to go there. We tend to to fill ourselves with other things, try to fix things ourselves. But the first place we go is say, God, I need you. The second thing we see here is the Lord rebukes defamation. The Lord rebukes, gives a rebuke to those who defame. Look at verse 2. It says, O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? The people uh, should have shown honor to the king. Uh, King David was the honored one. He was the anointed one. He was the king of Israel. And yet, what were the people doing? The people were saying things like they did in verse uh, 2 of chapter 3 of the Psalms, which says, um, there is no salvation for him in God. They They were turning his honor in to shame. You know, we live in a culture that has turned that which is shameful to being honorable, just like the people who were defaming King David. You know, we live in a culture that says, follow your heart, right? So people in our day who, who, who express themselves in following their heart and doing things that are often against God and against God's word are, are heroic. They are touted to the world as these are the people that you want to be. Look at the, how they follow their heart and they're, they're following their own desires. You see it in so many different ways. You know, you even see it in, in how um, people 
who are dishonorable type folks are given honor. You know, I was thinking about this when I was preparing. The, the, the image, the person that came to my mind is Gordon Ramsay from Hell's Kitchen, right? Gordon Ramsay is not a nice man. He's mean, he berates people, and yet what, if, what has our society given him? Money, reputation, honor for his shameful behavior. That's what the people of Israel were doing. They were defaming King David. They were placing shame upon him when they should have been giving him honor. See, our world is upside down. Um, People should be honoring things that bring God glory, but instead they honor things that bring him shame and disgrace. Then it says, how long will you love vain words and seek after lies? You know, so many times... People love vain words. They love empty words. They love flattery. They love to hear how great they are. Um, but they're empty. They, they have no real meaning because they're not coming from the right source. Uh, now, if we had people come to me and said, Pastor Dave, you have the most beautiful voice I've ever heard someone sing. It is, it is, it is absolutely breathtaking to hear you sing. And they've never heard me sing. Should I listen to them? No, because they have no idea of reality, because you all have heard me sing, so you know it's not true. You know, there's this flattery, you know, we, tell me more, tell me more, let, let, let me hear those kind of things. And unfortunately, that's the age of Christianity in which we live. We live in a day where preachers uh, tell people what they want to hear. Vain words about how great you are, how God has all these great and glorious plans for your life. But what is the great and glorious plan for every Christian's life? It's to become holy like Christ, right? Not to, to seek our own glory, not to make our name known, but to make Christ's name known among the nations. It's not about us. Life is not about us, but we have a world of Christianity that says it's about you. I want you to have a great life. Well, no, we want God to have a great life. We want, we want God to be great in our life. But you know, what is the, the, the Lord's will for our life? The Lord's will for some of us may be to die at a young age. The Lord's will for other of us may live to be a long life. The Lord's will for some of us may be to be wealthy or poor. You know, we don't know what the Lord has for us. Some of us have battled through cancer. Some of you have been through some very difficult times. But the Lord is sovereign over them all. We want to seek after the Lord. And how do we know what's truth and what's lies? How do we not seek after lies? When I was in uh, a kid, I used to love going to the dentist. Not because I like the dentist, because I like the Highlighter magazine. You guys know the Highlighter magazine that's always at the dentist? I don't know where, it's, it's only at the dentist's office. And, you know, you look at the picture, you see one picture. What's different about the picture on the right and the picture on the left? So you've got to figure out what the difference is. You know, when you think about the difference, how do you, how do you know what's true and what's, what's, what's wrong? You, you don't look at the, 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 the failed image, do you? You study the true image. That's how counterfeiters figure things out. If they want to figure out what's, what's a counterfeit, they don't study the, the, the wrong image. They study the right one. They look at it. They examine it. Once they know the truth and they know exactly what the, the original looks like, it's easy to spot a counterfeit. See, but people are not seeking after the truth. They're seeking after lies. We want to live with the truth. And the truth is given there right in verse 3. But know, there's the no part. There's the truth right there. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The word godly there uh, is, is transferred godly, faithful. It's a, it's a Hebrew word called hesed. It's this loyal, faithful, this steadfast love. 
It's these people who have, who have demonstrated a life of faithfulness and love for the Lord. They have been set apart. And David is saying, I have been set apart for the Lord. Therefore, the Lord hears when I call to him. It's almost like he's, he's answering that, that, that question back in Psalm 3. You say there's no salvation for me. The Lord will answer me when I call. Why? Because I've been set apart as godly for him. Beloved, when we go to God in prayer, he hears us. He doesn't hear us because of our righteousness. He hears us because of the righteousness of Christ given to us. He inclines his ear to us. He listens to our prayer. Why? Because we are godly in Christ. We are godly. God delights. He delights to answer the prayers of his people. I have felt this many times as a pastor uh, in the last two and a half years, that I, the church, is bearing fruit of prayers prayed years ago. How many times has God pray, have you prayed that God would show favor to Park Baptist Church? How many times have you prayed that God would grow Park Baptist Church? You've prayed those prayers, and guess what? We're bearing that fruit. We're bearing fruit of those prayers prayed years ago. God loves to answer the prayers of his people. One of my, my consistent prayers I pray for this church is those of you who have been around for, for 50, 60, 70 years. Right, Max Phillips? Right? 70 years, is that right? 79 years, excuse me. I'm so rusty. Um, is that you would know that the, that the best years of Park Baptist Church, Park Baptist Church are not behind us, but that they're ahead of us, right? Because God said, I will build my church. You know, many of you think back to the days when there were 500 people in Sunday school, right? Well, praise God, one day we'll get there again. But we'll be holy, righteous, community built around the Word of God in a day, right, that is not predominantly Christian, but in a day that is often set against the Lord. God is going to fill this place with His believers, he is going to do it. It's just a question of when. I know it, right? We just have to be faithful. God will build his church, and he's already building his church. We've experienced a little bit of growth, but you know what we've also seen? I've seen you grow. I've seen you grow in the character of Christ Jesus, growing up to him who is the head. I've seen that. I've seen how you have trusted in Christ in the midst of despair. I've seen it. God is moving. Let's trust him. That's what he says here. That is the truth. Christ has set apart the godly for himself. The next thing we see here is the Lord gives rest independence. Rest independence. Look at verse 4. It's a great verse for us to sit and rest on. It says, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Remember, this is the evening psalm. Now, tend, when your mind starts to race, you know what tends to happen? We tend to want to justify ourselves, and we tend to plot revenge. <laughs> Maybe you don't, but um, I, I sometimes do. You kind of like, you, get, you have those relationships. This is what I should have said. This is what I'm going to say. And you, you have that wrestle back and forth. And you, when people malign you or people knock down your reputation, what do you want to do? You want to well up in anger right? And you want to seek retribution for how they've treated you. And God says, don't be angry. You know, right? It says, be angry. It says, be angry, right? We're going to be angry when those things happen, but do not sin. Do not respond in that sin. 
So what do you do when you're, when you're welling up in anger and bitterness is growing in your heart against one of God's people or one, one of those who are outside of Christ? You ponder in your own hearts on your beds. And you be silent. You remind yourself on how much God has given you. You remind yourself of how you have wronged others, how you're not perfect, how sometimes you, you, you say things with your mouth that you regret, that you do things in your life that you... Uh, that brings shame to the Lord, right? We just remember those things. So we quiet our own hearts, not against, not responding in anger, but we just ponder, right? We ponder what God has done for us and what we have done for the Lord. And if we just stop and think and we're silent before the Lord, our relationships are going to be a lot better. Who has ever done something in the moment that you regret? Now, before you did that, what if you just stopped and you just thought about it for a while? Laid in your bed and just thought before the Lord and you were just silent before him. You know what you do? You do verse 6. What does it say? You offer right sacrifices and you put your trust in the Lord. You realize that you don't have to fix the problem. God has already taken care of it. You need to trust him. Trust that God is sovereign. Live your life. Remember, offer right sacrifices, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, in in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. We've offered our life to God. We live for him, and we just trust him. You know, one of the things that I love about this church more than anything else, I think, is just a simple trust that you have in the Lord. So many times you just say, "This this is what God says. Let your will be done. Let your will be done. If this is your will, let it be done. It is such a beautiful thing. The Lord gives rest in dependence. God will sort it out. So when we're, all, when we're racing and we're, we want to, to take action, take a nap. <laughs> Lay down and think about it. Right? You know, uh, Joel McMahon, I'm going to call him out. Joel, Joel takes a nap every single day at, during his lunch break. Right? And everyone at his office knows whether he's had a good nap or he's had a bad nap, right? Uh, but when you have a good nap, don't you just feel better? You know, when you, when you just don't respond in the moment, you're tired, you're emotional, you take a deep breath and you just lay down, you sleep for a moment, you wake up and you go, well, okay, I can deal with this, right? Um, you know, so take a nap in the afternoon. You have privilege for your pastor. So if you ever come here today and I don't, I don't answer the door, I may be down in the library taking a quick snooze. Don't judge me just being biblical. All right, let's close up. The Lord gives remembrance of deliverance. The Lord gives remembrance of deliverance. The reason uh, why we can go to this is that um, we just remind ourselves of how good God has been to us. This is the whole thrust of the whole psalm. Verse 6, it says, there are many who say, who will show us some good? Now, I think what, you know, David is kind of being representative of all Israel here, that we should kind of join along with, with with David here and saying, there are many who say of us, who will show us some good? Who, who will show us good in our life? And we were reminded that what? The Lord has been good to us. Look at verse 7, the end of verse 6. It says, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than when they have grain and their wine abound. In peace I 
will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So what does the Lord give in those days? He gives joy, eternal joy. See, we don't want, ultimately, we don't want earthly prosperity. We don't want riches. We don't want comfort. What we want is eternal joy. The end of Psalm 16, where the joy of the Lord is at his right hand, given to us forevermore. He gives us that when they have grain and and wine abound. When they're living in prosperity, you take your prosperity. I have the joy of the Lord. I have eternal joy in the midst of this distress. And then then what else we have is we have this sovereign safety. You know, we, last week we looked at this idea of waking up in the morning and seeing the, the power of God sustaining me through the night. Well, here it's the opposite. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Here's the, here's the thing that God says. You know, we, we looked at this last week. The Lord knows the number of our days. The Lord allows us to sleep in safety because we know that he'll take care of us. It's just, sometimes it's just that simple. When we lie down, we can sleep in peace. Why? Because we're in the arms of Christ. I love that picture in, in the end of Psalm, First Thessalonians 5, when it says, whether we are awake or asleep, we will always be with the Lord. That's the sovereign safety here. The Lord makes us dwell in safety. So when, we're, when we wake up, we go to God and say, God, you're here with me. And when we go to bed and our minds are racing, we, we, we are, we're tempted to get angry and bitter. We remind ourselves the Lord has put joy in our heart and he's allowed us to dwell in safety. And that should cause our hearts to rejoice in him and to know that our God will always answer us when we call. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for the sovereign safety and the eternal joy you've given your people. Father, I pray that you would help us live in light of this great truth. Uh, We ask you to do this in Christ's name. Amen.